Yeah, I'm like Neo now. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. That's Morpheus. Classic Views, Ottawa's Raptors podcast, Bryce Diamond post two games against the Charlotte Hornets. G League team? Is this the Charlotte Hornets G League team? It certainly seemed like it. Uh, Mad respect to Bryce McGowan's. Thank you for playing hard, uh, for giving it your all repping our name. Also, LeBron James's son, Bryce, his name. Uh, thank you for putting respect in the league <laughs> on our name's behalf. Not that you know me or anything. Um, these were two very easy games. It's not to say that the Raptors couldn't have blown them. Uh, we saw what happened to the Dallas Mavericks. It's not to say that, um, you know, had the Hornets had all their starters and their top seven, eight guys playing. Uh, it's not as if the Hornets would have made it more difficult for us. Uh, if you remember a few months back, the Hornets came to Toronto in a similar scenario, uh, two games in a row uh, with a rest day in between and the Toronto Raptors controlled game one and won by single digits and then blew it open in game two and won by, you know, 15 to 20 points. So it's not like this is that much different uh, a result for the Toronto Raptors, but regardless, uh, it was, it was, they, they were two games that the Raptors needed. Um, the Raptors needed both of these games. There's no doubt about that. And with those two games, uh, you know, it allows the Raptors to get over 500, to be basically secure in the nine spot. Uh, the Chicago Bulls have a very difficult um, series of games coming up. Uh, the Bulls also lost to the Atlanta Hawks at home last night. Uh, that, that's tough when you think about that. Uh, but, but the Raptors needed to win. They needed to work out, you know, some of the kinks in their game. And, uh, I, I think they actually came out of this with some real positives. Um, obviously in game one, uh, never really in qu question the game, uh, at one point in the second half, I know Charlotte got it down to single digits might have even been a five or six point game, uh, but the Raptors were in control and ended up, you know, being able to blow that one open. Fred Van Vliet was able to uh, get 20 assists, a franchise high 20 assists. And, you know, that's really good uh, to see. It's not, not easy uh, to do. Um, I'm not sure if he would have wanted to try and do it again in, in, in the next game, last night's game, in game two against Charlotte. But he got in game one. And, you know, if it were so easy, there, there were multiple chances for a guy like Kyle Lowry, Jose Calderon, and other point guards, um, da Damon Stoudemire, Alvin Williams, who played – many games against easy teams in the league, especially at the end of the season, and were never able to get 20 assists. Had good players playing with them. Alvin Williams had Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady at one point. Uh, Kyle Lowry, we know he had DeMar. Uh, we know that he played with Kawhi and, and so many others. So for Fred to get 20 assists, um, yes, is it against a weak team? Sure. Uh, but he scored 54 against Orlando, and we're not making a big deal about the fact that it was Orlando, right? Like, it's always nice when you do something like Pascal and score 52 
against the Knicks at MSG. Um, but if you remember Orlando, uh, that Orlando game, that was when we were in the Tampa tank and Aaron Gordon and Nikola Vucevic were still on that uh, Orlando Magic team who made the playoffs, uh, if you remember, uh, that season, I believe. Uh, maybe not. No, it was the, the season before they made the playoffs. But they had good players. Seemed like they gave up later in the season. But there's no excuses. These are NBA guys. These are the top 1,000 players in the world. And Fred Van Vliet just made them pay, and they were able to get buckets. To go back to their first uh, their first two games that they played against the Charlotte Hornets, January 10th and January 12th, LaMelo Ball played in one of those games. Uh, we won the first one, 132-120. Charlotte showed why they were one of the worst defensive teams. And then we won 124-114. So, yes, did they have more offense? Yeah, they did. Uh, did they have a lot more fight in them the last two games and more defensive uh, options? Yes, they did. Uh, so, you know, I don't really think Charlotte uh, was going to put up much resistance, even with their full roster. Gordon Hayward can't play defense. Terry Rozier is not a stopper. LaMelo Ball, uh, I think uh, maybe half the time actually crosses the half court line. PJ Washington um, was basically in a spa uh, since January 1st. So I actually thought they got a a better defensive group in the group we just played. Um, Also great to see last night's game. We saw, well, first of all, most of the starters play under 30 minutes. Great. Fred, Scotty, and Pirtle all played under 30 minutes. Uh, It was also great to see the bench show up and have a good night. Really good night. Uh, Will Barton finally uh, woke up, resurrected his three-point shot. He was six of nine from downtown. Fantastic. And listen, he's got lots of open looks in many games that the Raptors have played. This is not a guy... Uh, whose mechanics have gone off. This is not a guy who's, uh, you know, hot boxing the locker room before games. It's a guy just that wasn't making, and he had good shots in, in previous nights. Um, and here he is finally getting hot and knocking him down within the rhythm of the offense, really wasn't forcing anything, uh, had a pull-up, had a couple catch-and-shoots, uh, came off a screen, um, and, and knock down six of nine. Hey, we'll take it. Chris Boucher, also very good. Um, this was a bench group that uh, was quite bad offensively in game one uh, for much of the game uh, in, in uh, game one of this two-game series in Charlotte. And we were able last night to, to get the, the bench going right away. Uh, as I said, Will Barton, six threes. I think he finished with 20. And Chris Boucher finished with 21. Well, listen, that's 41 points from your bench from just two guys. Now, they're not going to have that every night. But this bench struggles to get 25. In fact, the first time we played Charlotte in Charlotte here, just on Sunday, uh, the bench scored a combined 21 points. They got outscored by the Hornets bench. Tonight, they score 53, 54, 55 points the bench scored. Listen, if our bench can can get 30-plus points, Gary comes back, we got Precious, we've got even Coloco gives you some minutes, or Thad Young, but probably Coloco is a rim protector. Uh, Precious Achua gets to play more of a wing role. And then you've got Barton, Gowton, and Gary as your guard play. If that group of six guys can get you 30-plus points a night in the play-in slash playoffs, 
we're going to be difficult to deal with. We've got enough juice. We've got enough talent in our starters that they're probably going to, to score 80 to 90 points in a playoff game every night. You get 30 points. Now you're dealing with a Raptors team who is scoring between 110 and 120 points if the bench scores 30 points a game. If they get 115 points, their defense is good enough. Their defense is good enough to make it really challenging. They get 120, 122 points on the road in Boston or in Milwaukee. I wouldn't bet against them, to be honest. Uh, Their defense can make things extremely difficult, especially if they're dialed in. And Nick Nurse is is coaching at a high level uh, with his his group. It's going to be tough. Now, again, I'm not saying those 30 points are guaranteed, nor do I say that the starters are guaranteed 90. What I'm saying is if the bench scores 30, we're going to put a lot of pressure on the Bostons and Milwaukee's. So let, let's hope they can do it. You know, Will Barton, 10 points a game. Precious and Chris Boucher, eight each. Now you've got 24. Can Gary get you 10 to 15? He sure can. It's possible. It's possible. It's a long way off. A lot of basketball to play. We still got to get out of the play in. Um, but that's, that's kind of where things are at right now. Now we do have three more games to go. We got Boston tonight on a back-to-back. Luckily, uh, most of our starters rested in that fourth quarter. Uh, OG only played 33 minutes. I think he played three or four minutes in the fourth. Uh, Pascal played 35, which is a little higher than you want him to play, but I think he just has a high motor. He just likes to be out there. Um, but he, he, he wasn't strained in either one of these games in Charlotte. Uh, and, and I wouldn't say Fred or Scotty really played more than a quarter last night. Um, so, you know, that, that's important that they got to rest their legs a little bit in, in these two games. We need Gary back. And that, that's a huge factor. The bench is a huge factor. Gary is a massive part of that. Uh, but speaking of the bench and, and important pieces, especially guarding backup guards, um, whether it be for the Hawks or for the Miami Heat. We need Jeff Doughton, especially if we get in a, a seven-game series against the Bucks or the Celtics. We're going to need him to play well against Grayson Allen. We're going to need him to play tight defense against Brogdon or White. Um, and right now he's on a two-way contract. Apparently, from what I've heard through uh, Blake Murphy and Eric Kareen, it will be tomorrow, Thursday, when the Raptors make a final decision. Now, on a two-way contract, you can convert that contract into a full guaranteed contract. The problem is you have to cut someone. Now, according to Michael Grange and others, uh, other beat writers for the Raptors, they do not like, as a principle, to cut guys that they've guaranteed contracts for. One guy they guaranteed a contract for is Joe Wieskamp. Um, I think it's safe to say at this point in the season, ever since Minnesota where he dropped three triples and we still lost the game, that he's just not a guy Nick Nurse trusts or wants to play because he can't give you ball handling, Jeff Doughton can. He can't give you defense, Jeff Doughton can. Now, Jeff doesn't have the range that Wieskamp does, but he's a no mistake, you know, low turnover guard who loves to play in big moments and can deliver for you on the defensive end. If he gives you some offense, that's a plus, especially from a scoring perspective, but he can play make. So these are skills that we need. These are skills that we need that Joe Wieskamp has. And I would say as an overall impact uh, start to finish, both sides of the ball, that Jeff Doughton has got to be the guy that you go to. Now, does it suck that you have to cut Wheezy? Does it suck uh, that 
uh, you have to break your principle. Yeah, but there's always exceptions to rules. So let's make it happen. It's a no-brainer. It could have been done. Uh, it could easily have been done two months ago. We decided not to, to do that, to give Wheezy a chance. And now we're in the situation where we're in the plan and we need good guards who can defend. And so Thursday, I would have no surprises at all uh, if they cut Wheezy and, and made Jeff Doughton's contract a full contract. Speaking of basketball, <laughs> let's get back to basketball. Thank you for that meal, you know, giving me the, the chance to speak on that. If you don't want to hear it, I hope you just turned it off because you've probably heard it too much. But the play-in is coming quickly. It begins next Tuesday, April 11th. The 7-8 games, April 11th. Wednesday is the is this is the 9, sorry, yeah, the 9-10 game. The 9-10 game is on Wednesday. Friday is Friday is the is the game. Uh, I believe it's April 13th. Is that right? April 14th. Sorry. April 14th, man. Um, that Friday is, is the last playing game. The loser of the 7-8 versus the winner of the 9-10. Raptors might be in that 9-10 game. Needing two wins, they might be in that 7-8 game. Still a chance. How do they get there? Well, they need Atlanta to at least win, lose one, and then they would need to win out. That's going to be tricky against Boston and Boston twice. Boston does have the tiebreaker against Philly. They're not going to catch Milwaukee. and Which means that... They might not have all their starters out for the game tonight. Philly played Boston last night. Philly probably wants home court advantage, but they haven't done enough. If Boston really wanted to win a game the last three, they could, and that would seal the deal. Philly lost the tiebreaker. They lost the first three games of this series. Of course, Philly won last night. But at this stage, I think it's pretty safe to say Boston's going to be the two, Philly's going to be the three. So my guess is, knowing that Jalen Brown and Robert Williams didn't play last night, that they will play tonight's game, and some combination of Al Horford and Marcus Smart, or Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jason Tayson, there'll be some, one, two of those three guys will probably be seeing tonight. That will make it easier for the Toronto Raptors. Certainly it will make it easier knowing that we had a lot of our starters sit and guys not play full games. Um, just kind of laying back low. Um, but it'll be tough to get a win regardless tonight. You know, Boston will be up for it. They'll want to win from their hometown. And it could be a potential first-round playoff match. It could be. If the Raptors sneak into the eighth spot and they win, they could play Boston in that 2-7 game. The West is crazy. And, and we'll get to a preview probably next week when we have everything down. But here's the crazy thing. Lakers last night played in overtime and won against the Jazz. If the Jazz had won that game, which wasn't out of the question, but if the Jazz had won that game, they would actually be tied with the Mavericks and Thunder with 42 losses. Unfortunately, Jazz lose, Lakers win, puts the Lakers in the sixth seed, out of the plan right now, and it puts Dallas in a situation where they have a chance, Jazz are probably done, but it gives the, the, the Mavs a chance. If they win three in a row, they might be able to pull it off. The Thunder have two games left, 38 and 42, two games left, won't be easy games, but they do have the tiebreaker against Dallas. So if they win one game, just one game, it certainly makes life difficult for Dallas because Dallas would have to win all three to to get into the plan. Man, I'd love to see the Thunder. It would have been awesome to see Jazz Thunder, the biggest surprises of, of I would say, the biggest surprises, but probably Sacramento is the biggest surprise. Sacramento, the Knicks, Orlando, sorry, not Orlando, 
OKC, and the Jazz. Those are probably the four biggest surprises this season, I would say. Um, you might disagree. I would say. Indiana, if they had been in the play-in, I think Indiana is is also in that group. But Indiana, they sputtered at the end, probably intentionally to some degree. Um, but yeah, the plan is going to be exciting. Uh, still lots of spots undecided. It's almost sure. It's almost a, a sure thing. It's almost solidified that the Nets are going to be in the sixth seed. Um, one, two, three, four in both the East and the West are settled. But yeah, we're going to do a preview on Monday. And whether I'm alone or not, <laughs> Jurassic Views will do a, a preview of the plan, and it should be incredible. And I really hope the Raptors can get in that 7-8 game. It would be a lot of fun if we got Brooklyn in that 7-8 game, which is still a possibility. Brooklyn lost last night. They're just one game up on Miami, but likely it's Miami-Toronto. Um, Toronto going to Miami, that could be really interesting. Jimmy Butler playing. Uh, if, if the Raptors keep playing the way they are, especially the way OG and Scotty have played, uh, that could be a lot of fun. Uh, Freddie's playing great basketball. Certainly, Pirtle has made things uh, so good. Pascal is back playing at a high level. Um, and now we just need Gary Trent Jr. to get healthy. Uh, Doughton to get re-signed and Barton to have another couple games like he did last night or at least like half as good as shooting. If he goes like four for nine, five for nine, golly, that would be massive. That would be massive. Four of nine. I'll take four or nine from Will Barton coming off the bench and then Gary do the same. Anyways, y'all, lots of basketball to come. Hopefully we can focus on the basketball and not all this nonsense from the media. Hopefully we're not talking about the refs. But the raps, as I said at the start, all business, strictly business, nothing personal, Spee. Raps get two wins in Charlotte and put themselves 40 and 39, first time above 500, since December 13th, I believe. And that's good news. Hopefully, we get three more. Stay above 500. Grab that eight seed. All right, y'all. Have a great day. Be safe. Peace. Good morning, everyone. Jurassic Views. Ottawa's Raptors podcast, Bryce Diamond post-game against some gloomy, foggy games in Boston for the Toronto Raptors on a Sunday-long weekend here in Ottawa. Toronto Raptors lost in kind of typical fashion for this season, 97-93 in a game that they just didn't close out a game they had lots of opportunities to win against a Boston team without Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Marcus Smart, to name a few. And then on game two last night, Friday night, the Raptors got absolutely obliterated. 121-102 at one point, the Boston Celtics led this game by 34 points. It was 61-29 in the early stages of the second quarter. They just lost their way. But, as I said, these are fairly typical, common losses this season. Now, when this happens, uh, it's easy to feel like embarrassed as a fan about your team. It's easy to feel a bit of doom and gloom about where the team is at, to begin to question and wonder what is actually happening in the locker room, what is actually happening between people, what kind of clashes are existing within the front office, between the coaching staff. Like, what is, what is the state of affairs? And we know it hasn't been an easy season. We know that the Raptors are seven, eight games below what we expect them to be. I mean, some might people might say 10 or 12 games. But I just want to put into perspective one quick thing about this blowout loss, okay? 
One quick thing is that there have been other teams who are in the top three in the East who have had this type of result this season. The Milwaukee Bucks, just earlier this week, I believe it was Monday, although it could have been last weekend, lost to the Boston Celtics in Milwaukee with a fully loaded lineup for the Bucks. 140 to 99. That's pretty humiliating. But these games do happen. The Philadelphia 76ers at home. Full roster outside of Tyrese Maxey, obviously an important player on the team, top four guy, I would say top three guy. At home, not on a back-to-back, play the Miami Heat, who have had better days, but seem to have the Philadelphia 76ers number, Philadelphia 76ers lost to the seven-seed Miami Heat at home in Philly, 129-101. I read some of Keith Pompey's tweets, and he said, it's just one of these games in Philly. So the Raptors losing last night, 121-102 in Boston on the 81st game of the season, is not unusual, forget about for the Toronto Raptors, but for teams in the NBA, even good teams, really good teams. If you remember, we, you know, beat Denver quite handily in Toronto like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. These games happen. But it's good to be aware of what other things are happening in the league. The NBA schedule 82-game season is a grind. We've talked about that on this pod. Obviously, lots of commentators, media people, podcasters, players will say it's a grind. There's been all kinds of load management conversation. But there's also been a lot of questions about how bad the schedule is for the NBA bodies. For people who play in the league, their physical health is put in jeopardy with the NBA schedule as it is today. It's a grind, right? Even LeBron James said it was a scheduling loss when they lost against the Clippers on Thursday in a back-to-back, having played the previous night in Utah. Like, we know that, LeBron. It's a scheduling loss. We've heard that kind of remark from Jalen Rose for the last year. Anytime there's a back-to-back, especially if you're playing one of those games on the road, it's ridiculous. And, and it's going to be extremely difficult to get those victories. You got to be so locked in. And you got to be so talented to be able to get those victories. So, yeah, we know it's a grind. And, and, you know, game 81, you're in Boston for the Raptors, in the Raptors world, and you lose. That happens. Right? Like, even going into Charlotte, we knew that there was a high probability that we were going to finish in the nine seed. Even if we had won out, the last five games. It was going to be really hard because Atlanta had a softer schedule. The teams that they were playing who were good probably going to rest some guys like Boston probably on Sunday. Like these these things do happen that you're kind of just set and, and trying to get up for the final games when you know you're going to have to shift and the games are going to be critical in the plan. You kind of, yeah, just shrug your shoulders. You know, even in Charlotte, not, neither of those games are in question. And it, it looked like even in those games, there was a shift. We showed up for like a quarter or two in, in both of those games, ended up winning quite comfortably. Atlanta did their job. You know, they won a, a really Im- impressive game in Chicago. 
117-100, and they were able to just cross the finish line against the Dallas Mavericks, 132-130 in overtime. And that was kind of the season for Dallas, right? And so I think it's important going into the plan. As much as we wish we were the sixth seed, as much as we wish we played a lot better, seven to 12 games it more in the win column than we are. I think it's good to have perspective right now going into the plan. And, and we'll do a proper plan preview when, you know, probably on Tuesday, the day before we get the Chicago Bulls on Wednesday in Toronto. Probably do a preview for, you know, the, the hopefully the second play-in game that we'll be on the road for, whether in Miami or more likely Atlanta. But for now, let I just want to put this season into perspective, okay? And, and we've done a bunch of this this season. But I, I think it's helpful. Because if we don't, I think it's too easy to go down such a negative train. And this is not about like, patting the Raptors on the back or thinking we're better than we are and we just haven't, you know, played to our potential. This is just like looking at the NBA and seeing where we stand in comparison to other franchises. First and foremost, can we just acknowledge how bad the last two months have been in Dallas? You get Kyrie Irving at the trade deadline. You've got 26 games, 27 games to play. And you think being in the four or five spot, wherever they were, you think, hey, we could make a real push to secure that four seed. And then, hey, we'll have home court advantage. Yeah, against a good team in the West. But we we could... We, we could make a couple good playoff series and who knows with the firepower of Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic, we could find ourselves in the conference finals again. That's a successful season. Of course, we know none of that happens. And the Dallas Mavericks, as of last night's loss to a lowly Chicago Bulls team that wasn't even playing DeMar DeRozan, Pat Beverly or Zach Levine. Find themselves now completely out of the plan in the 11 spot. That's right. OKC is in the plan, which I think is good for basketball. I'd rather watch OKC, certainly this year, than the Dallas Mavericks. And I'd rather cheer for them. I'm going to be cheering for OKC in that 9-10 playing game. It's exciting, not just because they have two... Canadians on that team, but also because they're without Chet Holmgren. And that team is going to be a real force next year. Not saying they're going to win it all, but I think they could challenge for that 5-6 spot next season, in all honesty. They're that talented. They're that deep. They seem to be that locked in together and that well coached as well. But there's other teams in the plan, right? You've got the Los Angeles Lakers. And while there's all kinds of deflection about the pressure that they face, here's a franchise that has gone all in with LeBron. And right now, they they sit in the play-in position. It looks like Golden State and the Clippers are going to finish at least a game ahead of them. And if that's the case, just from a regular season perspective, the Lakers have failed. They have two basically max guys, two top 12 guys when they're healthy in AD and LeBron. And that's a failure from a regular season perspective. Their record is what? Uh, a game up on the Raptors? 
they had way more expectations to play better basketball than the Toronto Raptors. Now, obviously, there was all kinds of focus on Russell Westbrook and whether they should keep him or not, but no one really seemed to want him. And they were able to get rid of him and improve tremendously as LeBron's 2018 team did as well, which is a whole other conversation that LeBron teams are able to make such dramatic changes and get into the positions that that they find themselves in with this massive improvement. But regardless, they now find themselves in a play-in game. And what if they were to lose? Like, let's just say they lost one of those playing games. Okay? And then they get Denver in the first round if they were to win the second playing game. It is that a failure that you're eighth that you're the eighth seed? Yes. But what if they lose to Denver? Like I, I realize that we're now going forward and, and making some projections here and predictions. But if they lose in the first round as the eight seed to the Denver Nuggets, that season is a failure when you have built this team, when you have gone all in on LeBron and AD, even at this stage of LeBron's career. And they really didn't have to. They could have been forward thinking. They could have said, hey, we got LeBron. He brought us the one championship that we thought we could get with him. And that's it. Now, obviously, if they beat Denver or they beat the Grizzlies, you know, they get a team like the Warriors in the second round. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, that, that might seem like a better situation for them. Uh, they, did, they did what they needed to do. They, they had an injury-riddled season. And they, they took care of business and they're in the second round. That's probably where you would have thought they'd finish at the start of the year. Um, obviously the media is going to, you know, give all kinds of hype to the Lakers and there's going to be a lot of like, I told you so's, or this is great for the league. If, if LeBron continues, I actually think it sucks, uh, for basketball, maybe from a money standpoint, the further LeBron goes, the better it is. But I actually, I actually think it's bad for basketball if LeBron keeps going forward. I think it says a lot more when you can beat an old champ. You can put him away and now you have some more excitement about the guys who are coming up, the teams who are emerging. I mean, I'd even be happy if LeBron and the Lakers got knocked off in the plan, personally. <clears throat> but I think a balanced response from me is it is good to see the main villain in LeBron James to, to league fan bases, it is good to see them go forward. So again, from a perspective of the Lakers and comparing to the Raptors, if they lose in the first round to a team like Denver, that's actually a real failure. And that I would argue that that failure is bigger than the Raptors failure because of how young we are and how bright our future is with a number of individual young players on our team, but also, again, a pretty young core. And we've talked a little bit about this, but I'll reiterate it. Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam are 29 years old. Jakob Pertl is 27 years old. Gary Trent Jr., even though he comes off the bench, also part of that core, he is... 24 years old. Precious Achua turns 23 this year. Scotty Barnes turns 22 in August. OG Ananobi turns 25, which is incredible that he's just a year older than Gary Trent Jr., but he turns 25 in May next month. And so when you look at all those guys and then the only other piece that would be, you could say, is part of the core, at least part of the regular rotation, an important guy in part of the rotation, is Chris Boucher, 
He's 30 years old, just turned 30 in January. He's the oldest guy of our eight core members or our eight most important rotational players. Eight guys, one is 30. I mean, that's a young group. When you look at Milwaukee, who has Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday, Bobby Portis, um, Chris Middleton, they're all 30. Now, Giannis, I think, turns 28 later this year. But that's a, that's a young group. You look at the Clippers. Morris, Gordon, Kawhi, Paul George, even Norm Powell, I believe next month in May. There's five of their key guys, all 30. Zubak is, is younger than 30. Um, Batum is definitely over 30. Like there's only a few guys on that team that are really important, like a Terrence Mann, who are under 30. That team is mostly made up of guys who are, who are over 30. And you just go down the list. Golden State, they have half of their guys are 30 and half of their guys are below 30. That's a little more balanced a team. You know, the Lakers uh, obviously have some guys who are in their 30s in LeBron and AD. D'Angelo Russell, I think he's in his late 20s. Rio Hachimura is in his mid-20s. Malik Beasley, late 20s. They got, they got a good mix of guys. You know, Austin Reeves. But you take off their two 30-plus-year-old stars. I think AD actually is 30 this year. Might be 31. But you take those two guys off, obviously you have nothing. Certainly you take LeBron out of the situation. They're a younger team, right? So they have a more balanced line, but they're still older than the Raptors at the end of the day. And that just is what it is. Even the Boston Celtics whose two stars are in their mid-20s, I think 26 and 27 this year is Tatum and Brown. You know, Al Horford is in his 30s. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is 30 years old. Uh, And you go down the list, you know, Derek White is a little younger. And the Boston Celtics are probably the team who is best set for years to come while still being a championship contender. Um, we'll see how good Denver plays, but they got quite a number of 30 year old guys, Jeff Green, obviously, DeAndre Jordan, kind of at the end of the rotation. Um, you've got Contavious Caldwell Pope and Reggie Jackson who are in their thirties. Again, still part of that bench unit. And then you've got Michael Porter Jr. and, and Jamal Murray kind of, you know, I think Michael Porter Jr. is 23 um, Jamal Murray turns 26 this year. And then you got Jokic, who I believe is 29, 28 or 29 this year. I think he's 29 this year. They got a young group, but they, their bench, including Aaron Gordon, uh, who starts, is, you know, somewhere in their 30s. So obviously Boston looks really good. They've done a hell of a job, but they're, they're among the elite in the NBA. And they're just one team. Like you could talk about Memphis. We'll see what Memphis actually does when it comes to playoff success. If they get knocked out in the first or second round, you know, have they done that much more than the Raptors in the last two seasons? I think most people would say, Hey, we'd take what they've done over what the Raptors have done. Sure. But would you really take their roster going forward ahead of the Raptors? I'm not sure. You know, I think with a new coach and a full season together, I think it's a flip of a coin who has a better regular season and who has a better playoffs between the Raptors and Grizzlies next year. Personally, um, I think they've got the the superstar on their team, but we've seen this year that can all, you know, get put into question when young guys make foolish decisions. Or if there's a health concern like happened to the Raptors with all their health issues this year. So 
from a going forward perspective perspective of this core, it's young. I'm not saying there there's not things that you want to change, but still young. From a regular season perspective, we're right there with the Warriors, Lakers, OKC Thunder, um, Minnesota Timberwolves, Atlanta Hawks, Chicago Bulls, like all those playing teams or all those teams that are just about 500, maybe a couple games over, a couple games under, you know, unless they get to the second round, like this season is a, is going to be a failure. Even if the Clippers lost to the Phoenix Suns, getting bumped in the first round, getting knocked out in the first round of the playoffs is a failure for that team. They're a championship or bust team. And you could, you could probably say if they were healthy, which they haven't really been, they still aren't with Paul George at the lineup, you could probably make an argument, hey, we got to the conference finals, we played against a really good team in Denver or the champs in Golden State, and you could make an argument, hey, we had a pretty decent season. But if you get bumped out in the first round, even if it's against KD and Devin Booker, CP3, no, that's a failed season for a team like the Clippers. The Raptors were not a championship or bust team. In fact, it's been said by a number of Toronto media people. Um, It's been written by a number of really good writers in the Toronto media world that this was not the peak year for the Toronto Raptors with this roster. The big year for this particular group of guys is next year. Fred, Pascal turn 30, the middle of their prime. Most people would argue that your prime is between 28 and 32. You saw that in Miami with LeBron. Uh, D. D Wade was at the end of his peak in those years. uh, Chris Bosh was in his prime as well in those years. This, This next season is the season of prime. And you get Scotty a little older. You get this group to gel, including Jakob Pertl. And you get the front office a chance to bolster this team with better shooting and hopefully a backup point guard. Next year's the real evaluation has been said, not just by the front office, but media people who write on this stuff and talk about this stuff. And I would agree with them. We've talked about this on the pod. I mean, the way we put it is, you know, the prophecy is for 2024. You could argue 2025. We've argued that too. But next year is when this particular roster sees their potential, sees if you can really stick with them or not. And if the season goes bad for the first 40, 50 games, there's going to be changes. And there might be a big one in the summer with Nick Nurse. All arrows kind of point to that right now. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if the Raptors were quite good next year. You know, Cleveland, I think personally, have have, um, exceeded expectations this year. I think this is a Cleveland team that was probably like 47, 48 wins is what we expected them. They're up, you know, 50, 51. They might finish with 52 wins. I think folks who are like really believing in the very best of the Toronto Raptors this season would have put them at 52. I put the Raptors at about 48 this season. Same amount of wins as they had last year, right? And we overachieved last year. Definitely underachieved this year. There's no two ways about that. Even if you had them at 46 wins this season, we're well below that with only 40 right now. But we were probably between 46 and 52. Cleveland wasn't far from that. Probably, you know, people had them between maybe 47 and 53. And and they've kind of got at the higher level of their expectations. Good for them. Doesn't mean they might not have a year where they get bumped back a, a, a bit. Chicago Bulls, underachieved this year. Miami Heat, underachieved this year. I, I think Atlanta would say they've underachieved this year. The team who's made the biggest drastic decision 
was Atlanta. They fired Nate McMillan. Now, whether that was the right decision or not, they've played, I think, better basketball with Quinn Schneider at the helm. I don't know if that will last, but regardless, they've underachieved. And there's a number of teams that have underachieved. I would say the team that's overachieved more than anyone in the East is the New York Knicks. But like they did last season, after they went to the playoffs and got knocked out in five by Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks, they might come back and be in the play-in next year. I don't know. But things are so tight in the NBA. There's so much parity. We've talked about this as well, and a lot of other people have too. But there's so much parity in, in the NBA. You know, outside of the top three teams who have M- MVP candidates in the East, outside of Milwaukee, who has Giannis, MVP candidate, Jason Tatum, probably fourth in the MV- MVP candidacy, their number two reigning Eastern Conference chance, and outside of Philadelphia, likely having MVP MVP this season, um, there was a gap, and there was a lot of parity. You know, if Atlanta had have won fifty this game, they would have overachieved, but could have been in the cards. Um. The Knicks definitely overexceeded expectations by five or six games, maybe more for some. The Brooklyn Nets, who could have been in that top three conversation this year if they had been able to figure things out between coach and and front office, even with the firing of Steve Nash. Um, you know, that would have been good for them, but they've well underachieved because things blew up. And that team could be decent next year, but they're probably in a similar situation as Chicago Bulls, New York Knicks, and maybe even the Raptors next year, depending on what they do in the offseason. But we weren't expected to be a top three team. And if if Brooklyn had figured it out, we were only expected to be a top four team this year. So yeah, we've underachieved, but we're not that far from where we should be, really. Like, in all honesty, the best we would have done this year is a five seed. And who do we play in the first round if all things go as planned or normal? We probably play Brooklyn or Philly. And we probably get bumped out in the first round. Now, next year is different. And in a lot of ways, the Raptors remind me of Boston in 2021. That year, the Boston Celtics finished 41-41 and and got knocked out, I think, in five games to Brooklyn, who lost by Kevin Durant's toe to the Milwaukee Bucks and weren't even healthy. Kyrie got injured in that series, and James Harden, like pushed himself to come back to make it interesting, but he, his hamstring wouldn't allow him to play basketball anywhere near to the level that he could have. And certainly not to the level that he's playing now. And he was better in that 2021 season than he was here in this 2023 season. But that's where the Boston Celtics were 41 and 41 and definitely were well below their expectations after going to the conference finals the year before in the bubble and they had a, a coaching change, right? They had a coaching change. And then they kind of played 500 basketball and then absolutely exploded and had an incredible run in the regular season and then had an incredible run again. The reason why I say we're more like that team is because I think our talent is right around there. And it's whether or not our personalities figure it out. It's whether or not our, our front office figures out the tweaks. It's it's whether or not our coaching staff, whoever that might be, Nick Nurse or somebody else and his staff, if they can figure it out. OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, Scotty Barnes, Jakob Pertl are just as talented. And this might be a hot take for some, 
You can throw in Gary Trent Jr. and Precious Achua. They are just as talented, that group, as Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Robert Williams III, Malcolm Brogdon, and Derek White. They really are. But coaching, chemistry, health, front office, all those decisions, a little bit of luck, and togetherness, that's really what the ingredients are for Boston getting to the next level. 41 and 41 in 2021, knocked out in the first round. They come back the next year. They have a coaching change. They commit to each other. They go to the finals and then they hit a wall because they had two seven game series where they got a little bit of luck against the Bucks and the Heat. And they went to the finals and played really well against Golden State. And if they win game four, they take that series. But they kind of hit a wall and the Warriors were focused and Steph played one of the best games of his playoff career. You could say arguably a top 10 game in his career period, game four in Boston. And the Celtics lost that game. And that really was the series. Then Golden State comfortably wins, cruises in San Francisco, and then they come back and they're just too smart and too confident and they beat the Celtics in game six in in the garden. But the Raptors are not that far. And next year is the year to really test this and evaluate this roster. Not saying that they're all going to be the same. Not even going to say the coach is going to be the same. But the talent that exists in Toronto right now is just as good as that 2021 Boston team and could be just as successful as the 2022 Boston team. But 40 and 41 with inconsistency and personality clashes, yeah, it doesn't feel like we're anywhere near an Eastern Conference contender or a finals contender. But either did Boston last year in January or before the season. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But I I just wanted to give a little bit of perspective. Again, we've done this on the show. Others have done it too. I'm sure you've thought about this, but I wanted to do that. Because when I listen to a lot of the media, when I see on Twitter a lot of the fans, and I'm not just talking about like burner accounts and like, you know, 21-year-olds who keep betting on the Raptors and losing money and take it out on the Raptors on Twitter. I'm talking about people who are seasoned fans, people who are in the media thinking about this, talking about this a lot. There's a lot of doomsday type stuff. There's a lot of, it's over, you know, just goofy kind of takes right now. And yeah, again, we've underachieved. I'm not going to take that, take away from this team. But all is not lost. All is not lost. All right, y'all. That's that's my <laughs> my take on the Raptors right now. That's my you know my thoughts for right now. I'm sure others have other opinions, but that's that's kind of where I see things. Um, it, maybe it's a, a realistic perspective. Maybe it's maybe it's just you know trying to be positive. I don't think I'm overly positive about what the Raptors done this season, but um, maybe it's trying to be positive, fake positive. I don't know. But that's just where I'm at with the team. Love to hear your thoughts. Hope you have a great weekend. Um, Big games coming up next week. Hopefully it's multiple games. Hopefully it's not just two. 
it's it's three or more. Well, if we get to three, it definitely will be more. <laughs> but hopefully it's it's more than two games. But we got to start with one in Toronto against Chicago, and I will preview that playing game against the Bulls next week. All right, y'all. Have a good one. Peace.